It is possible to be crazy and paranoid and totally insane and still be right. Maybe the problem with everyone is that the world has become so insane, they're not out of their minds enough to comprehend it. Grady Hendrix, We Sold Our Souls. Welcome to Books in the Freezer, a podcast focusing on the deliciously disturbing world of horror fiction. I'm one of your hosts, Stephanie. And I'm your other host, Rachel. Today we are wrapping up another amazing year in horror fiction by sharing our favorite stories of 2018 on this episode of Books in the Freezer. This episode of Books in the Freezer is brought to you by Audible. This podcast wouldn't be possible without audiobooks. So if you want some spooky stories told by some familiar voices, try Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, read by Dexter's Michael C. Hall, or The Dead Zone, read by James Franco, or podcast favorite, Joe Hill's Nosferatu, read by Kate Mulgrew. For a free audiobook and 30-day trial, go to audibletrial.com slash booksinthefreezer. Happy listening! So before we start listing our favorite books of the year, we have a couple announcements to make. And the first is that I'm really excited to finally publicly announce that I am pregnant. I am 20 some weeks along as we're recording this a little bit later by the time you'll hear this uh, downloaded as an episode, but I'm pregnant with a little baby boy who will be born at the beginning of April. So that is really exciting. I've been sitting on this for quite a while and poor Stephanie has heard all the behind the scenes, the morning sickness. She has been fantastic. We've had to like switch up recording schedules and all of that because there's been complications and she's been completely there for me, which has been so great. And the other thing I need to announce is a little sadder and that's the fact that this will be my last episode as co-host of the podcast. I love the podcast so much but just I realized that for the foreseeable future my reading and quiet recording time is going to be virtually non-existent. It's hard enough to find time to record even with our current setup so I just felt it was the right time to step down and allow a new voice to speak on horror fiction. I just wanted to share that with you all. I am not really good announcing these kind of things. It's hard to ever have any kind of goodbye and I'll talk a little more later on that it's not a goodbye. It's just a change. But with that, I really want to say a welcome to Devin to the show and the co-host chair. He already did an amazing job filling in on several episodes this year when I wasn't able to record due to medical reasons and otherwise. So I think he's just going to do a great job. So Devin, thank you for joining us for this episode. It's sad, but I mean, I'm, I'm excited for it. You got some big shoes to try and fill and... Um, this isn't going to be Rachel's last episode of the podcast. I want to make sure people understand that. Absolutely. We already said that whenever you do body horror, I need to be back for that. There's a couple episodes that I'll be pretty choked if you do them without me. So I just need to kind of step down in my official role and allow you to 
basically keep the schedule moving along. There's definitely a lot of time crunch in making sure that this podcast comes out every two weeks. It's a lot of work and editing definitely takes time. But by no means am I gone gone. I'm still going to be around and yeah, I hope to be a guest whenever possible. Just kind of in the short term, like especially in the spring, I know things are going to get pretty crazy. So I want to give the ability for me to take a breather without the podcast having to slow down. So yeah, no worries. I kind of want to give you a rough time and let you know that you'll have to yeah fill my shoes like you said, which I don't know what that will mean. Maybe your listeners can chime in. What does it mean to be Rachel on the podcast? A couple things is that you need to make sure that we don't get too literary. So if Stephanie is talking about some really literary fiction, you need to balance it out and get some good slasher horror going on. So I'm going to expect a lot from you, Devin. That I can do. Yeah, I don't think Devin's a fan of literary. Excellent. Yeah, and we definitely just wanted to let everyone know that like, yeah, we weren't, Rachel and I did not have any kind of a fight. Like we are still good friends. We'll still probably have Skype dates. And yeah, she'll definitely come back on the show. Absolutely. That's a really good point. Because whenever I hear about these kind of things online, I'm like, oh, I bet there's like a big fight in the background. And to everyone's disappointment, (laughs) there is no hard feelings. You've been amazing since I let you know that I needed this break and this step down from the podcast. And yeah, there's absolutely no drama, which is fantastic. I'm really going to miss recording officially so i'm definitely glad that you're up for skype dates definitely and Devin, i think uh, everyone is calling for you to be extra canadian to fill rachel's rachel's spot (laughs) (laughs) i'm a newfoundlander so that stereotypical canadian accent you guys know about like you know how how, who she going e that's that's a newfie thing so i i'm sure i can manage that you gotta like always have uh what is it like tim hortons like on your desk when you're recording So you weren't actually with us last year when we did our first best of the year episode back in 2017. So I thought you could answer some of the questions we talked about before. So I wanted to know, how do you feel about those best of the year book lists that show up everywhere online? Do you pay attention to them? Do you follow them? Is that how you get your book recommendations? Um, I honestly don't watch a lot of them. Um, I, I do enjoy them because, I mean, it's... A lot of the time, especially with people that I watch on like BookTube and and just speak with, it's a lot of indies. So like their their best of year list have a lot of things that I've never even heard of before. So yeah, I do discover a lot that way. But um, I, I watch them a lot more now, especially since I started getting involved uh, with writing and getting involved with the publishing industry in general. Um, it's a good way to find you know things you may have missed of the year past. For sure. Like I did one that was midway this year. Like I did my best of the year books so far in June and not all of those books made like my final best of the year that I did for December oh I'm excited for that list (laughs) it's so long like I usually do 10 books but because I read like almost 150 I did like 20 (laughs) yeah I always find it so hard to pick it's like your children how do you pick your favorites but then I do pick my favorites so maybe that's a bad analogy (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna be a great mom you're like in the end I actually do have favorites so (laughs) So how does that make me feel? So last year, we made a couple of resolutions, which I kind of forgot about until we were preparing for this episode. How did we do? So I 
have a spreadsheet that where I track everything and, and kind of does percentages as I go. So I would say with all my reading, I said I was going to read more female authors. And with all my reading, all the genres, it was pretty 50-50. So I was, I was pretty happy with that. Yeah. And I made the same resolution because I'm horribly creative. And kind of the same thing. I look through my Goodreads and it's roughly 50-50 male females. But I realized that I actually almost read more female, except for in horror, which was actually 70% male approximately. So 30% female in the horror genre, which is notoriously male, isn't bad, but it's definitely not equal. So I guess I did achieve my resolution if it was to read more female than average, but I feel like I could have done better. How about you, Devin? Did you make any resolutions? I kind of did, but it wasn't really reading per se. Most of my resolutions were writing related. Although I made a, a significant number of plans, I did actually hit some of the main ones, like getting my first book published, getting other works uh, ready to go, and taking it more seriously. So I did achieve like the important goals. I was on a booktube hiatus around the new year last year, so not a lot of reading was done, unfortunately, until the second half of the year when I met you guys and started taking the uh, the booktube side more seriously. Yeah. You did have a book come out so it's understandable yeah that is a huge accomplishment i got a chance to read krueger's and let me shamelessly plug it because you would never do that yourself but it's like a freddy's style book all of you know in the vein of like the nightmare on elm street and it's just like so much fun like really action-packed i loved it it gives you all the like freddy feels so i really enjoyed it i think you should be pretty proud it's was quite an accomplishment for a year so i'm excited for what comes next because there better be a book two you promised a book two book two actually i was hoping to get done and ready to publish uh by the 15th of this month but had some uh, some snags with the process so it's going to probably be near the end of january or beginning of february next year but it will be coming out within the next two months i'm gonna hold you to that <laughs> so did we notice any other trends in our horror reading this year um, like I noticed that I read a lot of short stories and anthologies this year, which was really fun because I felt like I got to try a lot of different types of horror, especially in anthologies when you have different authors contributing. Like, you know, some stories are going to be more literary. Some of them are going to play with things a little more. Some of them are going to lean a little more into the weird. So I really enjoyed that. And I definitely want to keep reading more anthologies. So I'm really glad I kind of not discovered them, but like really leaned into them in 2018. Yeah, you ended up reading way more short stories than I did. Last year was the year of the short stories for me. This year, I ended up reading a ton of indie titles after that indie episode we did, you know, with that guest host we had. I blame you, Devin. <laughs> because after that episode, we had to obviously prepare and read a couple of indie books for it. Afterwards, it just opened up the genre for me or opened up that whole area of publishing. I admit I had my stigmas about it beforehand. I had my preconceived ideas about the quality and then I ended up falling in love with so many. And I'm going to talk about several indie titles on this episode, which is fantastic. The reason I think I didn't do better in terms of reading more horror by female authors is the fact that it kind of conflicted with 
my impromptu resolution to read more by indie authors. Not that indie females aren't out there, but they are much harder to find in my opinion when it comes to horror. I am lucky enough with my online presence to get requests from authors to read their books and I would say like 95% of those came from male indie authors, not female. The very few female requests I got, I really tried to say yes to their books if I thought they sounded interesting. I really had to scour online in order to find indie female authors that weren't just urban fantasy or, you know, erotic vampire stories. So it was a bit of a struggle. I found those two goals really conflicted. So that's my excuse for my resolution not going better. You said um, the authors approached you for the most part for the books you've read? For the mo- I'd say maybe half and half in terms of my indie titles, but I s- tried to seek out as many as I could using Kindle Unlimited and other resources. Sometimes if I found a book that sounded really good, I'd reach out and ask if I could read it or purchase it myself. Okay. No, the reason I ask is because if you're searching Kindle Unlimited, um, you really got to sometimes look into the author when you see a book because there are a decent number of females that write under male pen names in horror. I don't know if that's actually like a big trend or anything, but I know a couple uh, people that told me before that they had a, like a, an author they liked and found it only after the fact that it was a female. That could be very possible. I did notice a few of the females I ran into, they used their initials was the most common I noticed. But mm-hmm. now I'm wondering yep. if there's more females on my list and they were all stealthy and I had no idea. I'm going to go with that. That sounds really good. First thing I do is usually look up the author, somewhat get familiar with them after I read something if I like it for that reason. I like that. So yeah, do we have any? Uh, do we have any new resolutions for this year? Mine is pretty simple, and that's just simply to read next year. I'm so afraid that baby is going to do some damage to my reading goals. I've read 200 books this year, and next year I'm hoping to read 40. I don't know if that's even realistic. So I'm just keeping it really simple and saying read what I want, read whatever sounds good, and not save any of my potential favorites because sometimes I do that when I think a book is going to be amazing and I'm like oh I'll save that for later but if I'm reading a lot less then I might as well focus on quality over quantity so that's my brief plans how about you guys I think you'll find that infants and like especially newborns like sleep quite a bit so I think you'll probably get some reading done like I remember reading uh we have always lived in the castle like up at night trying to get like Henry to sleep just like while he was like laying on my shoulder and I was just like perfectly still trying to get him into like the right cycle of deep sleep so I could move him I like read on my kindle at night so I have faith in you I think you can hit 40. I'm glad I was worried that wasn't reasonable (laughs) no that's not awful Uh, I want to read more works in translation I want to seek out more authors that aren't from North America or, you know, obviously writing in a different language. I would like to read more small press authors. And I have Kindle Unlimited right now, which has been really helpful in finding some gems that I that just really surprised me. So I want to do more of that and support some small press authors, especially presses that specialize in horror, which just makes it easier. You know, things like Grindhouse or Word Horde or like Cemetery Gates and places like that. Uh, And thirdly, I would like to utilize my library more for physical copies. I constantly use Hoopla and Overdrive, but I don't tend to go to the library for physical copies. And I have a pretty good library system as far as them having a lot of stuff that is surprising at times. That sounds so good. 
I'm excited for your goal to read more works in translation. I've come across some good horror that is translated, so maybe I'll start slipping it your way, and that could be a new episode, perhaps. Yeah. Oh, I'm getting excited. <laughs> yeah. See, this is why I'm not really leaving, guys. I'm way too invested in this podcast. How about you, Devin? This year, it's kind of like what you said, Rachel. I'm just planning to read more. Um I'm actually really disappointed in the lack of indie books that I've read over the past 24 months and where 2018 was the year of get my crap together and get a book out and get my writing stuff like on its path. I kind of let my reading go to the wayside. So I just want to reprioritize reading. I don't have a specific goal of numbers of books or whatever like that, but prioritize. Well, number one, prioritizing books in the freezer itself is going to help you know, my uh, more reading goal. But yeah, um, it's it's a little bit of a cop-out answer, but I just want to read more in general and especially more indie horror. This episode is being recorded live, uh, broadcasted to the patrons of Books in the Freezer. So we have some people in the chat right now. Sarai has said her resolution. As far as re- resolutions go, I want to read more of the books on my shelf, read more classics, stick to my no TBRs thing. Sticking to a no TBR idea that's i think that'll help a lot because you know mood readers try to set a tbr it's it usually doesn't work very well and then we have laura my resolution is to read at all because i'm in a massive slump so me and laura are basically on the same page she says i kind of want to take the pressure off and just read when i feel like it i always feel like it eventually i feel you laura i was in the hugest reading slump basically from july until maybe a few weeks ago i'm finally fully out of it it's it was rough, especially when you have a podcast where you need to be reading and finding good things week after week. So it was a problem. I'm I sympathize. Oh, I love Mac's resolution. Yeah, I was just gonna say. <laughs> uh, she, uh, she says she wants to read as many of the Bram Stoker Award nominees as possible, which is awesome. Um, yeah, one thing I did last year is like I wrote everything down in my I bullet journal. I kept on all the all of the nominees and I've been keeping track of which ones I've read. Uh, So is it just the ones that get nominated like this year and last year or that have been nominated like in general? In general. Okay. That's cool. I know uh, Sean over at Eclectic Reads has been doing that too. He's been reading the ones that were the winners for the first time author category, like all the the debut author winners since the awards began. I like that, especially... Focusing on the debut category is really nice because I think it's a really nice way to find authors that, you know, aren't Stephen King, aren't Joe Hill, aren't Grady Hendrix, you know, love them all. But I find that, you know, such a small percentage of the authors get the majority of the attention. So I think debut author category is definitely one I'd like to focus on myself. Definitely. And that's where I found Kill Creek and I yes. loved it. <laughs> Yeah, I like think that's, that's what's so great about heard of like, resolutions is that they can really push you out of your comfort zone and like really surprise you because like I said, when we were preparing this episode, I was surprised how many of my picks are from indie or small press authors. And it really is the fact that we did that episode and it completely changed my outlook and I became obsessed with finding the most like underhyped hidden gems. And all I wanted to do was like find these gems and just shout about them off the rooftops. And it really paid off this year. Oh, definitely. You found a lot of good stuff. So many. 
We have a lot of categories to get to in this episode. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. So while we're talking about the future, um, I did want to talk about some goals that Devin and I have for the future of the podcast. Or Devin, do you want to take this? One, one goal specifically that we want to put more, I guess, energy towards is actually providing more Patreon rewards um, because the patrons of the podcast have been amazing and uh, other than like they get they get the early episodes and they get posts and such from Rachel and Steph but I feel like there's a lot more we can be doing for them add some new levels and get some more rewards live shows like this uh, might be something that's not like in every kind of episode thing but you know special occasions uh, bonus episodes things of that nature so we're hoping to get more interactive content with you guys um also an idea that hasn't been flushed out yet but we are uh tossing ideas back and forth me and steph is to get a books and freezer book club kind of going where like we'll pick a book and have like a, a talk or an episode or a chat or something at the beginning of the month to say what book it is and then one at the end probably another live show with you guys to talk about the book completely spoilery because we've all read it and we're just discussing it again the details on that are still kind of we're trying to work out how it's going to play out but i think uh it's something to look forward to for the coming year to get more 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 books in the freezer like some extra content more or less yes yeah, so you guys will have to let us know how you like the the book club idea <laughs> or what you would want as extra content Laura, Laura says book club sounds fun. Sarai says, I wish I could insert that shut up and take my money gif. <laughs> so it sounds like it's, uh, it's being well received. Oh, good. So let's finally talk about the book recommendations and get on to the good stuff. We have a lot of categories we want to cover. We had a lot of favorites this year. As we mentioned, we read a ton of horror. And as a result, we have a ton of books that we want to gush about for the rest of this episode. So bear with us. We're going to go category by category. And we're kind of starting with one of the best and just right out of the gates let's talk about our favorite novels that were released in 2018 and i actually struggled picking mine because i really wanted to talk about two different books that were both published this year however i had a feeling what stephanie's pick was going to be so sure enough she is recommending the other book i would have picked so i am free to talk about The Nightmare Room by Chris Sorensen. And this is an indie title by an author who writes under his own small press. And it's about a couple who move into an old house after the death of their young son. The man is an audiobook narrator, which is just like the author. He narrates other people's audiobooks. And in the story, this character sets up his recording studio in the basement And soon enough, he starts hearing strange, creepy noises. And the reason I wanted to pick this book as one of my favorites is the fact that this is the story that made me love haunted houses. And we've mentioned it a little bit before. We always try to be transparent, but I am not a fan of haunted house stories. I remember starting the podcast and right out of the gates, Stephanie wanted our very first episode to be on haunted houses. And I was like, I don't like haunted houses. I've always said I find them boring. I just don't connect with the stories. It's not something I reach for. And I'm 
often disappointed. I find they tend to be my lower rated book. And I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but I almost didn't even read this book. This is one where for full transparency, the author did reach out to me online and say, would you be interested in reading my book? And I'm embarrassed to say, I said no. I said, I don't read haunted house stories and I don't want to unfairly crush your book. And then I started hearing such amazing things about online that I got really curious and I ended up reapproaching the author with my tail between my legs saying, if you're willing to give it a try, I would love to read your story. And I'm so glad I did. It worked for me. I finally found a haunted house story that I found scary. I'd put it in the fridge. It wasn't freezer for me, but it had such good creepy elements, especially with the audiobook aspect to it, because it wasn't just about the physical house, but the sounds that were showing up in the recording. And I don't want to spoil too much of the story, but it's very emotional. It's very family focused and it just hit me in the feels. And I don't have feelings as we often discuss. I can be a cold hearted person, but this book really got to me on a lot of different levels and was one of the first horror books that I just fell in love with this year. So I definitely have to recommend The Nightmare Room by Chris Sorensen. Yeah, that ended up being a surprise hit for you. Yeah, that just came out of nowhere. Like how embarrassing is it that I almost passed it by and it was such a big treat. Yeah, so I guess I should talk about the book that you were almost going to pick. I like how I basically had to sneak into. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to do that in a little oh, bit. Oh, good. <laughs> because Devin picked the other book I was like torn between. <laughs> So I picked The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. And this story is about a girl named Gwen and her two dads that just wanted to have a nice vacation in a cabin away. But things take a turn for the sinister when a group of people barge into their cabin and try to have them go along with some of their strange beliefs. And I adored this book. I know you guys know, like Paul Tremblay is one of my favorite authors. And this was a Fraser book for me. This book really stressed me out. Like I was physically sweating like reading this book in bed I was like I need to like I need to breathe <laughs> I feel like I can't breathe I feel stressed <laughs> and like claustrophobic so it was really good it had a lot of it had a lot of the hallmarks of a Paul Tremblay book and I think I just love that he's not afraid to to break your heart <laughs> <laughs> oh that book is so amazing definitely my personal favorite of Paul Tremblay's work and oh exactly everything you promised it would be I loved every minute of it it was just so stressful so intense weren't you pacing around your bedroom while reading it or something yeah I had to like put it down and just like take a lap just like calm <laughs> myself down <laughs> mine as Steph kind of alluded to I'm guessing you guys can predict it was going to make an appearance in here is We Sold Our Souls by Grady Hendrix. Story of, of Chris, she was in a heavy metal band uh, 20 years ago, and the band, they were somewhat successful, but then the lead singer basically went off on his own and became this rock god, uh, and now we're in present day, 20 years later, and Chris discovers essentially that he sold, not his soul, but the souls of the band, basically, for his meteoric rise. And it sets her off on a road trip to confront this uh, former bandmate of hers. Um, it's basically a rockumentary version of the Daniel Faust story. Um, I The thing with it, it might not have been my favorite Grady Hendrix book, but the reason why I say it's my favorite book of the year is because... I am such a mark for Grady Hendrix now after reading My Best Friend's Exorcism and Paperbacks from Hell and then going to Horror Store that I went into this book with 
incredibly high expectations and i wasn't disappointed by it i was it somewhat exceeded it so um in spite of everything you know usually when you go with high expectations it's kind of difficult for that to be met but grady knocked it out of the park and what made it even better was um after we did the interview with him and he explained that he actually isn't really that much of a musician his presentation of chris as this former uh rocker and her opinions on music and bands from the 90s and 80s um all that stuff felt so authentic and coming from an author who admittedly wasn't a part of that scene really gave it more gravitas for me so yeah um it wasn't overly scary i wouldn't i wouldn't put it in fridge or freezer probably room temperature um but yeah it was I, there's no other book I can think of to say what would be my favorite of 2018. It, it was it was great. I had a feeling you were going to pick Grady Hendrix. I'm so jealous you guys got to do the interview. Uh, while I say jealous, I knowingly passed up the opportunity. I just couldn't get out of work. But it was such a good interview to listen to. I soaked it up. He's just such an intelligent speaker. And he could talk about the phone book and I would love it. Yeah, he's really funny. Like very witty. Yes highlight of my year in any form like writing reading personal life the highlight of my year was doing that interview with oh Grady. that makes me so happy for me it was probably our interview with christy demeester i just came home and fangirled about her to my friends that were over for the rest of the night like squealing like a little teenage girl it's embarrassing i there's something about the amazing experience of having like a wonderful conversation with one of your favorite authors who you've admired and of course all of the authors we've had on the podcast so far being like so down to earth and funny and so understanding so i'm really glad you had that experience too well especially christy she was our first one and she just had such a good energy for the show oh i know i remember being exhausted after work and she just carried the whole conversation she has an amazing ability to just start talking and just keep going in the best possible way. You see me when I'm looking for words like this, I'll slow down my speech, but she just flies. It was a joy to edit that. (laughs) Some responses in the chat for their favorite 2018 novel. Uh, Getting to that. Uh, Laura, uh, Laura says her favorite was Foe by Ian Reid. Oh, good choice. In fact, she... She described herself as total trash for that when it comes to 2018 releases. Uh, and Sarai. Um, oh, man, the ones that come to mind first are Horns by Joe Hill, uh, The Girl with All the Gifts by Emma Carey, and her reread of The Joy Luck Club by Amy Tan. Or Amy Tan. I haven't read, I actually haven't read any of those, unfortunately. I've read all of those, and they're all good. <laughs> I love The Joy Luck Club. That is, like, my kind of literary fiction. I'm thinking that one's not so much horror. I'm suspecting, unless it goes very sideways, because I know the general synopsis. I kind of wish it went to a horror place. Playing Mahjong with, like, generation of mothers. And then zombies jump out? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Nice try, Rachel. Well, actually, okay, the the restricted section or, like, now the Spinebreakers did a video where they would, like, pick book titles out of a fishbowl, and they had to turn those into horror novels. And Ooh. one of them picked out the Joy Luck Club and it said like you had to you had to bring like a live human heart to the Mahjong table <laughs> was like the <laughs> horror twist to it. <laughs> and Stephanie, you were collecting online and reaching out on social media to the rest of our listeners. What were their favorite books of 2018? 
So the ones we got from our listeners included all the ones that we mentioned previously, along with The Siren and the Spectre by Jonathan Jans, uh, Sawkill Girls, uh, The Outsider by Stephen King was one that popped up a lot, uh, Rust Maidens by Gwendolyn Keist, and Blood Cruise by Matt Strandsberg, which is one you mentioned, Rachel, on the upcoming releases, the translated book. And Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. Those were the ones that were mentioned by our listeners. Oh, lots of good ones mentioned and lots of ones that I'm embarrassed that I haven't gotten to yet. I bought Sawkill Girls on Kindle and the Rust Maidens is totally on my radar. So many good ones. Backlist. And for anyone who's not familiar with that term, it just refers to a book that was published prior to 2018. So that can cover a lot, which makes this one of the best categories because yeah there's just so many books to choose from and I went with a real oldie this time (laughs) like way back and honestly my favorite backlist novel ended up being I Am Legend by Richard Matheson it was my first time reading him and it really surprised me for anyone who doesn't know the general synopsis is that it's about a man who believes that he is the last living person on earth. Everyone else has been turned into vampires by some kind of plague or epidemic. And he now survives alone in his house while vampires claw at his door every night. I listened to this on audio, which is probably part of the reason I loved it so much. Because the narrator had this deep, haunting voice. And I just found it to be such a creepy experience. I was completely absorbed. And it's easily one of my favorite takes on the vampire genre, possibly because while they're vampires, they also have a lot of characteristics that would normally be associated with zombies, where they're kind of this horde and are almost coming back to life in more of a zombie way. So it definitely kind of scratched that itch for me. I would say scariness, it's at least in the fridge. Maybe freezer. I know we talked about it in our post-apocalyptic episode, and this one definitely surprised me. I didn't think post-apocalyptic was something I was really going to enjoy, and it's crazy that it ended up being a category that spawned a new favorite for me. But I love this one. I'm absolutely obsessed. And if you missed the title and somehow don't know it, again, that is I Am Legend by Richard Matheson. And... If you haven't read it, it's not too late. Even now, go read it. Completely worth it. And and Max segues into your pick, Stephanie. Yeah. So Mac and I agree. My favorite backlist pick this year was one that Rachel recommended to me. And that was Into the Drowning Deep by Mira Grant. I loved this book in a way that I did not think I was going to like this book. And when I got the audiobook, I was worried because it was very long for a genre that I was not so sure about. <laughs> But I just absolutely loved this book. I loved the time that, sorry, my mouth is getting dry. I loved all the time that Mira Grant took developing these characters. I love how she really balanced a serious tone with, you know, a little playfulness at times. And I loved getting to know all of like the scientists aboard this ship. It felt like Jurassic Park or like Deep Blue Sea where you have that set up like all of these scientists just kind of live together. Everyone has their their specialty that they're focusing on. And she did a great job with representation. There was a queer characters and a deaf character. And I love that she had a note at the beginning about her research in ASL and like how, you know, it would translate to the page and just how she really researched that and looked into that. 
it was so fast paced like once things got going that I was just completely in for this ride about killer mermaids (laughs) um yeah absolutely loved it and then I think there's a prequel, right, called like Rolling in the Deep. Yeah, there's a novella, but it's not available outside the U.S. It's hard to get because it was done by a small Uh. press. So you don't have to read it before reading the novel. But if you can check it out, it's supposed to be really good. I tried and it just is not possible in Canada. I'm going to have Adele stuck in my head for the next hour at least now. We could have had it all. (laughs) I love Adele. (laughs) (laughs) I am so incredibly excited that this made your backlist this was probably my biggest surprise when you were compiling your list i had no idea how much you liked it like i loved it it definitely was a front runner it definitely was a runner-up when i was compiling my favorites for last year it almost almost made the list and i didn't know how you'd feel about it i thought you would like it but it's hard to pitch (laughs) killer mermaids to you and actually try to convince you that it's very well done and isn't just some campy book that Rachel found on the side of the road but it's actually this like brilliant sci-fi horror that is just so deep and like you said has like amazing like representation and it's so thoughtful yeah she just she writes such good characters like I cared about almost all of these characters and even I know we talked about this when we did our our catch-up after the readathon but when like, you know, people are getting introduced and like the first person or um, there's a certain character that talks about what their specialty is. And I was like, yeah, you're not long for this world. <laughs> um, so good. OK, so in our chat, uh, Sarai said that Into the Drowning Deep is also on Hoopla. I think that might have been how I read it, actually. So, yeah, listeners, Into the Drowning Deep is available on Hoopla and Max says the novella is available on Kindle possibly I'll have to look into that Laura read The Troop for the first time in 2018 and she called it a pretty sweet backlist pick yes we are all here for the body horror at least I am <laughs> oh yeah Nick Cutter someone I didn't get into yet either oh, that I need he's to so good and Laura also read Station Eleven, which wasn't that your cozy post-apocalyptic Canadian story, Stephanie? I still need to read it, considering it's got a Canadian author behind it. Yeah, there's some split opinions on that. I'm in camp, love it. I'm in not. <laughs> and I'm in indifferent because I haven't read it, so I'll need to be the tiebreaker on that one. I, I, I appreciate what she was trying to do with it. I do, but I, uh, we will talk okay, more. Okay, when I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> See, I don't like most post-apocalyptic stories, so I think she focused on what I wish other people would focus on, and I think that might have been what was missing for you. Was it that, like, things were well, too ambiguous or, like, not explained well? Because I'm like, I don't care about that. No, well, okay, okay. I think the way I summed it up talking to Stefan Voxer was she tried to make, like, a literary post-apocalyptic, but the literary aspects didn't hold up the snuff, I guess. I don't know. It was right after I read, or right after, or right before I read *The Road*, which did literary post-apocalyptic really well. So it might have been skewed by that. Maybe a reread might be better. I don't know. My backlist will be surprising to people that know me, but it's going to be. I am copying out and saying two, but it's basically one series. It's the first two books of *The Vampire Chronicles*: *Interview with a Vampire* and *Vampire Lestat*. Technically, they're rereads because I read them when I was really young. Like I've read. I think the vampire list stat when I was 12 or 13, give or take. And it, 
anyway, I didn't remember much of it. So this is my first time as an adult reading them. I read it as like a, a long read along. We were going to do a book a month for the whole Vampire Chronicles. We got to the tale of the body thief and then it kind of fell apart because the series, I think, kind of fell apart. But Interview with the Vampire and Vampire Lestat by Anne Rice. Anne Rice was really good at taking the romanticized vampire, like the, the way vampires, I feel like, were meant to have been. The temptuous, uh, lustful, kind of impulse-driven kind of creatures with high intellects. Like, they're really intelligent, but giving into all these um, vices and such. She has these beautiful and, like, mind-blowing kind of descriptions and way the world is presented, especially when Lestat and Louis become vampires. They see the world differently. Everything is brighter. Everything looks so beautiful. But then they have the side of them that are really vicious and unrelenting and, like, horrifying. So, like, it's a nice contrast between the beautiful and the horrific. In terms of vampire fiction, I think this is probably the most idealized form of a vampire uh, before we got into the 90s and 2000s and where we are now in terms of uh the rating certain scenes i would say you could probably put it in the fridge yeah they're really good i really enjoyed the first two and then i didn't go on i didn't hear great things <laughs> so i didn't really push through by the time you get to the tale of body thief um lestat who's now the main character of the series is so overpowered he has so many abilities he's untouchable he could think with a thought and just immediately turn every vampire on the planet to dust. So backlist picks that our listeners mentioned were Cold Moon over Babylon, The Making of Gabriel Davenport, Psycho, Kill Creek. Kill Creek got a lot of mentions. Um, Kin by Keelan Patrick Burke, The Woman in Black. We got another mention for The Troop, The Killing Lessons by Saul Black, and a shout out to the audiobook for Sadie by Courtney Summers. A lot of good variety yeah. in that list. Sadie was really good, so I'm like throwing my <laughs> my support behind that so one. So switching to our next category, let's talk about our favorite short story collections or anthologies. So not necessarily all by the same author. And this was the category that at first I was struggling with because I didn't think I had read any that I really loved. And then I realized that I'd read this one in 2018. I was sure I had read it in 2017. So once I realized that, I was set because I love this collection. And that is Everything That's Underneath by Christy Demeester, which we talked about briefly during the interview we did with her. And it's really hard to describe. The stories are lyrical and dreamlike, and I describe them as having a bit of a literary quality to them, which none of these words are words I would normally describe as stories I'd be interested in. If you just pitched me a story collection based off of that, I would probably pass it over admittedly. But there is something about Christy Demeester's writing. I've said this before. I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but I just connect with her writing so well. It's just dark and twisted. And there's something almost visceral about how she writes. She just gets in my head or gets me as a reader and... I just think that if I was ever going to write stories, I would like to write the kind of stories and talk about the kind of ideas that she does. The collection, I would say overall, is room temperature. It's more on the side of weird fiction, again, more dreamlike than outright terrifying. But there was one story in the collection called The Beautiful Nature of Venom, 
which made my skin crawl because it was all about spiders. I don't even have an issue with spiders, but it was just so creepy crawly and I love the whole collection, but that was one that particularly jumped out at me. So definitely recommend that one. I pretty much love everything that Christina Meester touches. So I cannot wait to see what she does next. I loved that short story collection. I was torn between that and then what ended up being my pick. So I'm so glad that you picked this one. Uh, I, the one I remember the most from it is, do you remember the flesh devil or is it like the flesh carnival or the flesh I'm circus? I'm drawing a blank on the name, but yes, I have an image of what that one was like. That's the one that sticks out to me, but just hard agree on everything you said. It was such a good oh, collection. Loved it. So the one I picked ended up surprising me. It was Darkest Hours by Mike Thorne. I, as I mentioned, had a really hard time picking out a favorite collection. So I went with the one that I could succinctly remember the most stories from. And there were so many stories in this collection that really stood out for me. As you probably know, the first story in this collection is just bonkers. <laughs> it's called Hair. And it's about a guy named Theo who just like becomes obsessed with the idea of eating hair and the whole story was so repulsive but like in a great way like I felt it I felt everything in this story it was so gross and amazing and the rest of the stories I thought really played with different subgenres, and I thought he just did it so well and I was really impressed with almost every story in this collection I ended up giving it five stars which I don't usually do for short story collections so that for me was Darkest Hours by Mike Thorne <laughs> my pick it's going to be Shiver by Junji Ito that's a short story collection it's like I said in that episode Junji Ito I think is one of the most creative minds in horror alive today it's kind of um a horror like Rachel would love I'm thinking because there's a lot of it that's just this body horror type um grotesque kind of visuals but it's not there to gross you out it's there to like just disturb you and i guess that's the best way to really describe his his art in general is it's legitimately disturbing this is a collection of stories that he curated himself um, each story begins and ends with some concept art of when he was uh, first doing the stories uh, what he was thinking about, uh, where the ideas came from. Like, it's it's a cool thing to have if you're a fan of him or if you're just discovering him because he, he, tell, he puts into context where he was when these stories were created, but there is not a dud in the entire collection. And where it's done in, like, a graphic novel format, uh, you could sit down in an evening and just, and just get through it with no problem. I would recommend it, though, because some of these books, some of these stories are... Again, legitimately creepy and disturbing and terrifying. Oh, I'm just dying to read that one. I need to read something by him. <laughs> so did any of our patrons? Yeah, Mac Mac actually brought one up. And I'm surprised that none of us had Ellen Datlow mentioned at all at this point. Because short story collection, horror, um, we didn't say Datlow at all. So I'm glad uh, Mac said she read The Devil in the Deep. That was a good one. Um, Laura barely finished any collections, uh, but she read a couple stories from Christy D. Mister. Uh, yeah, so good. I find that's the thing is I often kind of sample short stories, but then I don't actually have like full collections to recommend for these kind of episodes. Like I, I'm kind of a truist. If I don't fully read every story in the collection, I'm always like, oh, well, did I really read it or not? So that that's where I am with Hark the Herald Angel Scream. 
the one uh, edited mm-hmm. by Christopher Golden. I'm not done finishing all the stories in it, so I would feel bad saying it now. But the stories I have read, they've all been great so far. I didn't get to your favorites yet, but uh, the one with the mummers especially got me all, all jacked up because it's a newfie thing. I had never heard of that before. You, oh, man. Mummers are terrifying, but awesome at the same time. Laura read the best part, uh, best horror of the year, volume four, and most of it was great, which that's another one Datlo does, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she does the the best of the year. And if this year she was, I think she released that like best of the last 10 years where she kind of picked her favorites from the past 10 collections. Oh, nice. So I haven't gotten around to reading that one. But that sounds really interesting. Was there any other listener picks? Yeah, we have quite a few. So I'm not going to mention any of the ones that we mentioned, but we have. And Her Smile Will Untether the Universe by Gwendolyn Keist. Uh, we Should Have Left Well Enough Alone by Ronald Malfi. North American Lake Monsters by Nathan Ballingrude, uh, Through the Woods by Emily Carroll, Things We Lost in the Fire by, I think it's Mariana Enriquez, Hark the Herald Angel Scream, uh, edited by Christopher Golden, Best Horror of the Year, Volume 1, edited by Ellen Datlow. So quite a few good ones, a good a good variety. Yeah, some of those there. I hadn't heard of before, which I always love with these episodes and these lists is getting to find out about ones that completely flew under my radar. Moving to our next category, let's talk about our favorite novellas, which could be frontlist or backlist. And my pick is one I gushed about way back in our creepy children's episode, if anyone remembers that. They probably know I'm going to gush some more about Sour Candy by Keelan Patrick Burke. And this is about a man who watches a spoiled child have a meltdown in the candy aisle at the grocery store and is so thankful that he decided to remain childless. However, through circumstances, the child ends up following him home and everyone is trying to convince the man that this creepy child is actually his. This is just such a fun novella. I really enjoyed it. It's probably my favorite example of creepy children's stories. So many of them miss the mark for me, but I found this one legitimately creepy. I gave it a fridge rating, I believe. And there's something about this little boy who is wearing these old-timey clothes and just never changes even when you see old pictures of him. There's also a bit of a psychological aspect to the story because to everyone except this man... This child is simply his, and he is this strange father who is rejecting his child. But he's convinced that, no, this child is not mine. I don't know where he came from, and I can't get rid of him. And I think it's a great story for people who purposely remain childless or just enjoy the bratty side of children. So highly recommend it. I've said it before, but I'll say it again, that now whenever I look at sour candy in the grocery store, I think of this book and it kind (laughs) of creeps me out. So definitely recommend Sour Candy by Keelan Patrick Burke. Uh, For my pick, I am doing The Witching Hour by Jonathan Jans. Honestly, there was like a Jonathan Jans book I could have picked for like almost every category. Uh, But I went with novella and the witching hour. And this is about a man who has a tradition of going to his local movie theater and they do a horror movie marathon. They play three horror movies back to back. And this is just the thing he does. He goes and he like kind of flirts with the girl that works at concessions and he just sits and he he watches his horror movies. Uh, Except this time things get a little strange like he notices that the amount of people in the room like keeps getting smaller and the stuff on the screen keeps getting a little bit weirder and weirder and this was just such a good slasher novel 
which what I thought was like really good commentary on horror as a genre. And it had a character that you can root for, which we don't, I don't feel like we need to have in horror, but it's nice when you have that, when you have a character that you're like, oh no, like, yeah, go do it. I want you to succeed. (laughs) So I just really enjoyed this book. There was a good amount of buildup and I would definitely put it in the freezer just for the high body count. It was a lot of fun. So that was The Witching Hour Theater by Jonathan Jans. I need to read that. I keep saying it. Why haven't I read that yet? It's everything I want in a novella. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, I did not read any novellas that I can think of to mention in this spot. Um, I do have The Ballad of Black Tom. I was tempted to like read that and hopefully that I liked it before the episode started. But I didn't get around to it, unfortunately. But that's part of my resolution is to read more. So I'll, I'll have a fave novella next year. I'll even make two just to make up for this year. Oh, I definitely want to know what you think of The Ballad of Black Tom, because I know you're a lot more of a Lovecraft mm-hmm. fan than Rachel and I. So I think you would, one, have like a lot more context for that story than we would have. So you need to get back to me when okay. you're done with it. I honestly didn't even know it was a Lovecraftian story. I got it from um, Book Outlet when they had like the crazy sale on and it was like under like two bucks. So I just tossed it in the cart because it was horror. So I have no idea what it's about. I think it's a retelling of, is it like the horror at Red Hook or something like that? Looking in the Patreon chat, Laura Little Pony is with me that she also read Sour Candy and said that, and she thinks that is Keelan Patrick Burke's best, but her favorite was Mapping the Interior. And I think that's a novella that you read this year, Stephanie. You really liked it too, don't you? Yeah, I did really like it by Stephen Graham Jones. It was very good. Uh, it was like a ghost story, very literary. I honestly don't think I understood all of it, but that yeah, was I okay. didn't understand all of it. That's one of those books that makes me feel dumb as a reader, which is why I don't read more literary works. That and like Fever Dream, I was like, and I am too dumb for this. <laughs> oh, these are things no one else admits online. You make me feel better. <laughs> well, I, I actually felt a lot better. Uh, I Amanda Nelson on like one of the book riot podcasts like also mentioned that like she didn't understand fever dream and I was like oh I feel so much better like hearing that because no one ever admits to it and then you think you're the only one so switching over to favorite graphic novels again looking at both front or backlist I read Uzumaki Spiral into Horror volume one by Genji Ito and this was recommended by Devin and so I give all the credit to you I know you are such a big fan of his work, and I'm so glad that you had me pick up his manga. I think this is his most famous one, but I actually hadn't heard about it. It's about a small town where the residents become obsessed with spirals, and that's the basic premise. You pretty much have to read it for yourself. I remember you telling me about it, and I was like, that sounds like the dumbest book ever. And it ended up being terrifying. This was one of the very few books that I put into the freezer this year. And I might actually be the first time I'm talking about it on the podcast, but I can't believe that I was that scared of a book about spirals, but there is something about his work. He just gets into the reader's head. It's something so mental, so psychological, and it's just haunting. And that's why I'm crazy excited to read the book you mentioned above, Shiver, because I could see him being a new favorite author, just being someone who just works for me and just kind of 
I don't know. Yeah, like I said, gets into my head and doesn't get out because I could not believe that a book about spirals would be freezer worthy for me. But absolutely terrifying. I'm glad I took a chance. I'll admit I thought you were out in left field, Devin, when you were trying to convince me to read it. But it was (laughs) the best recommendation. I loved it. So thank you for pushing me along (laughs) to read that. No problem. The thing the thing with Ito is that, and the best way I can sum up his work is that he makes the mundane like come up and be terrifying or and be like bizarre. Or he can make the truly bizarre seem mundane. I tell you, okay, this is a graphic novel about a town and everybody is just obsessed with spirals. You see them in hair, you see them in the way this town is built. Like there's so many spirals in everything and that sounds like something really mundane and it's 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 again it's terrifying. But then you get something like in Shiver, there's Marinette Mansion, where you have um people it's this person visits his brother and he's in this um mansion where he has people in the ceiling like hold with strings going down to his limbs and controlling him as a marionette because like it it saves his energy for like thinking about things like he doesn't have to access extra energy moving around himself he lets people move him around he hires people to do it and that comes off as so normal halfway through the story but that sounds so bizarre that's so really creepy. creepy. After that, I did start seeing it spirals is. everywhere, though. I started looking around. And I was like, this is a spiral. My pillows are spirals. <laughs> Why are there spirals on this? My ears are kind of spirally. It got bad. <laughs> Maybe I'm just impressionable, but definitely you have to check that one out, Stephanie. I really want to be able to talk about it with both of you. I definitely need to get to that for sure. <laughs> the list is ever growing. What was your pick? So my pick, um, I feel like I talk about all the time, (laughs) but it is The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina by Robert Aguirre Sacasa. I just loved the art in this book and I loved how dark it got. And I will say this book is a lot darker than the show. Like the way things turn out in the book uh, are not the same way that they turned out in the show. And I thought this was actually a little darker, but I loved it. I loved the aesthetic to the pictures. I just loved everything and I was just really surprised by how much I ended up liking this graphic novel. So that was The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina by Robert Aguirre Sacasa. So people should read the book first if they haven't already spoiled themselves on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I liked the show. The show was good. I would say the book is better. I would say it doesn't matter either way. Uh, there's not like that many similarities. It's different enough. Yeah mine if anybody listened to the graphic novel episode is not going to be a surprise it's the crow by james obar because i'm a little embarrassed that it's only been like within the last couple of years that i even knew there was a like i got my hands on the graphic novel um but this is a story of eric draven him and his girlfriend were killed by gang members and this is a story of draven being brought back to exact his revenge upon the gang members um, sounds pretty straightforward, but it's it's a lot more subtle, a lot more nuanced than I'm giving it credit for in this particular description. Um, there's a lot of breakup between the gratuitous violence and Draven getting his revenge with scenes of him just lamenting about memories of him and Shelly, his girlfriend, and the, the loss and the grief that he feels. Um, the art in this, it's black and white. It's done by, done by James O'Barr as well. He did the art as well as wrote it. And some of these scenes, especially the non-action scenes, are just the artwork is breathtaking. Um, 
But like I said, I don't think anybody that has seen the graphic novel episode is surprised about my pick on this because this has been a really uh, a story that stuck with me now for for the better part of my life. Um, rating wise, like I said, it's room temperature. If you're really sensitive to um, violence, I guess maybe fridge, but not for very long. Just in the fridge. Yeah, for it definitely a few takes moments. a lot to scare you. So that always piques my interest, even if it's just a little bit fridge worthy for you. Yeah. This this one, like I said, it's not so much meant to be uh, scary or or a horror in the terms of what's on the page, but more of the concept of dealing with grief, dealing with loss, and how we manifest it. Because the crow is basically a manifestation of Obar's own grief of something he was going through at the time. It's the unrelenting, unstoppable rage monster to, you know... Uh, make what was wrong right so because this is our own podcast and we can do what we want our next category is going to be very niche and let's talk about our favorite horror poetry collections and we only have one entry because neither myself nor Devin had any horror poetry on our radar this year but Stephanie I know this one was a favorite so we might as well talk about it because if we're going to do a best of the year episode we might as well talk about the best and I know you love this one so tell us yes I loved this book this is I am not your final girl by Claire C Holland and this is as Rachel mentioned a poetry collection and the poems are about different horror movies and they are like from the perspective of the women in the horror movies so like not necessarily the final girls it's not just slasher movies so like there is a poem from you know Lori from halloween and the the first poem is you know rosemary woodhouse from rosemary's baby and these are great just beautiful and feminist and i just loved this book so much and i just really recommend it it's a very quick read if you love horror if you love horror movies and especially if you consider yourself a feminist I would 100% recommend it I think it is on Kindle Unlimited right now and it is great and that is I am not your final girl by Claire C. Holland yeah I admit I'm not much of a poetry fan but you have definitely piqued my interest with this one I love anything that plays with the final girl trope especially if it looks at it with a feminist lens Oh, yeah. So maybe let's shift the tone and be a little negative for a moment, but just a little bit. We definitely try to do more recommendations than anything else. But what were our biggest disappointments of the year? And I can go first. For me, I'm taking the word disappointment quite literally. It's not that I hated this book. It's that I was very disappointed because I went into it with very high expectations. And that is Universal Harvester by John Darnell. This is a story that I should have loved because it is everything I love about my nostalgic horror. It's about a man who works in a small town video store in the 1990s when one of the customers comes in and complains that there is something weird on the VHS tape of She's All That. So the store employee takes the video home and tries to uncover the mystery behind it. That premise sounded so good. You know me, I gushed about... The Video Palace, a couple episodes back, I've gushed about movies on Netflix and 
other books that are just along those same lines. Anytime you take horror, set it a couple decades back, you throw in a VHS tape, I am sold. And I was just so disappointed because it had so much potential and I just felt like the plot went nowhere. And I hate to say that. Again, it's not the worst book I read this year by any means, but definitely if we're taking it literally, it was absolutely my biggest disappointment because it should have been a favorite on this list if it had lived up to my expectations. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that one. I was so sad. Yeah, not a favorite. That's good. Because you ever do that where you go and you start reading a book and you're like, this might end up on my favorites list. Like every once in a while I do that and I always like to see if I'm right. And yeah, this book, my expectations were so out of whack. I was going to say, it's not so bad though. If like I said, it's a matter of not meeting expectations. I mean, it might still be a good book to someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a, a person I respect a lot in that likes horror stuff. And this was one of their favorites, like when asked of the year. So to each his own. Um, so my disappointing book was Bad Man by Dathan Auerbach. And I really liked his debut work, Pen Pal. I thought it was very atmospheric and creepy and parts of it made my skin crawl. And so unfortunately for me, like this was like too much buildup and atmosphere. And I don't feel like there was enough plot or payoff for me. I didn't think the ending made sense and honestly just like was not plausible. So that kind of took me out of it. This is about a young man and he and his little brother are going to the grocery store one day and he, you know, looks away for one second and his brother disappears. Like it's a few years later and he goes back and takes a job working at that grocery store and he thinks that you know, his brother isn't dead. He he has a feeling that his brother is alive and it has something to do with this grocery store. Yeah, unfortunately, like it just, it did not pay off for me. He is such a, he does a really good job of writing atmosphere and kind of having a creepy, spooky element, but it just didn't work out for me. So that was Bad Man by Dathan Auerbach. Cool, so Rachel, you were talking about expectations. This book for me was a disappointment because I went in with the wrong expectation and it's a book I read with Steph and with uh, Sean at Eclectic Reads. It was Audition by Ryo Murakami. I went into this book knowing about the movie without ever without actually seeing it and I thought it was way more more horror than it actually was. Um, it's basically the story of this widower who after you know lamenting around so much after he lost his wife his friend um, convinces him to hold auditions for basically a new wife. I think they do it under the guise of a movie or they do it under the guise of something else. But he ha- he holds these auditions to find a new wife, and then he finds somebody, and let's say it doesn't turn out the way he he expected it. Um, it was a very competently written story. I could see why it gets the acclaim it does. Um, however, I went into it expecting not necessarily supernatural, but more leaning on the horror side, where this one was more of the suspenseful thriller-ish kind of stuff. Is that Would you say that's fair? Yeah. Basically, it's only a disappointment in terms of not being what I expected slash wanted going into it. Um, if I went into it as a blank slate and someone just gave me the book and said, read it, and I read it, I might have actually enjoyed it much more than I did. But like I said, this was this was an issue of uh, uh, wrong expectations. Clearly, people do love it because, again, it's it, it got an incredible critical acclaim and has an adaptation that's a cult classic. So a lot of people do like it, but I 
unfortunately was quite disappointed with my experience that's such a shame yeah that's one that we buddy read so i agree yeah, it, was, it was such a down conversation at the end of it we were all like oh man that's kind of how it went so we have to turn this around so we aren't all downers here let's talk about our favorite chilling obsessions of 2018 so anything that's not a book so i'm thinking movie tv show video game something like that okay so my favorite chilling obsession so far i'm gonna have to go with the haunting of hill house on netflix i just absolutely loved this series and it made me feel the full spectrum of emotions and even made me jump (laughs) So I just I really enjoyed this. I didn't think I was going to like it. Like I went in snarky because I love the book so much and it exceeded my expectations. So I got embarrassingly, I've only watched the first episode so far, but I really liked it. And I think that as long as you go in not expecting it to be just a straight up adaptation, it's supposed to be great. I definitely will finish that up. My pick is a pretty buzzy frontless title movie and that is the 2018 version of halloween and i got exactly what i wanted from this movie i was surprised i saw other people giving it mediocre reviews online but i loved it i think you have to be aware that yes it's going to be a follow-up to a classic no it's not going to be exactly like the classic but it just was exactly what i wanted and there were so many nods to the original movie like little shots that would pan over to the closets that looked just like the closets in the original and I just loved watching the slow return of Michael Myers as he slowly turned from man back into monster I don't want to say much more I do think it's best to go in not necessarily having watched the entire movie but just being aware of the idea of Michael Meyer. My husband hadn't watched the entire movie, the original, but he ended up watching the last like 20 minutes with me and that gave him enough perspective and background to totally love the new one. So yes, it's a super buzzy pick that everyone knows, but I personally loved it and would definitely recommend it to any fans of the original. I enjoyed it. Um, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as some like other people that are raving about it, but I think it was a really good reboot. I like the, the whole... Um, I'm not sure how I feel about like the new Loomis, but, you know, it, it, it was good. It was really good. Uh, did you see it, Steph? No. <laughs> <laughs> she hasn't seen the original. That's, that's true. Okay. I don't, yeah, I gotta go hide under my rock now. Yeah, but it hasn't streamed anywhere, to be fair. (laughs) Unless you live in Canada, because it was on Netflix. No, that was the remake. Scratch that. Yeah, no, don't watch the Rob Thomas. uh, Rob Thomas. Wow. (laughs) Matchbox 20. (laughs) Rob Thomas read it Halloween. Oh my gosh, I would watch that. (laughs) So, my favorite chilling obsession for 2018. And Rachel, I can't remember if you mentioned this or Dead by Daylight when you mentioned the video game. I was talking Dead by Daylight, so I've never actually officially talked about this in the podcast. Okay, good. Um, This game, well, it's a video game that I started playing when it came out in like July of 2017. To date, uh, as of two days ago, I have over 1,200 hours into it. Um, It is Friday the 13th, the game. It's 
consume my it is when i mentioned resolutions earlier and how in the back half of the year um some of them kind of i didn't meet it was because the back half of the year i got back into friday the 13th um i highly recommend the game to anybody as long as you have friends to play it with i think i played a couple rounds with rachel actually yeah we'll talk about that Um, (laughs) (laughs) but you gotta have friends to play with but it's an asymmetrical game it's an eight person uh, eight people enter the game. One is randomly selected to be Jason, and Jason uh, then has to kill the other counselors. As a counselor, you have uh, two cars and a phone box. You can either repair the cars and try and drive away, or repair the phone, call the police, and get away. Um, there's voice chat in it, but unless you have a walkie-talkie, only people nearby can hear you. And... Uh, whenever Jason is nearby, you, the, his music plays, so you know he's nearby. So you can get a lot of good uh, scares and thrills from it too. Um, but yeah, it's I couldn't not say it was my chilling obsession because, like I said, this is the reason why I haven't met some of my goals, and I've sunk so much time into it that I even start streaming some plays of this on my YouTube channel uh, just just for fun as I was doing it. Um, <laughs> How, how did you find it, Rachel? Oh, I need to play more of it. It was fun, but stressful. And I remember when we first started playing it, you were, at first, I thought, really being nice and helping me learn how to play it. You were giving me some tips and kind of walking me through. But then we started a new round, and all of a sudden, I was being chased by the killer. And it was terrible because I was trying to hide from him. And you kept asking questions, being like, oh, where is he? Where are you now? And I was, like, telling you and, like, you know, filling you in and, like giving you all my like frantic thoughts and sure enough i should have known but i realized you were the killer and you were just taunting me you were so mean i was i was trying to oh you laughed so hard when i finally figured it out and even i think if you look it's very obvious you can actually pull up a menu and it will show you which person is the killer based off of their screen name despite that i definitely want to play more with you i need to get it reinstalled my husband re installed a bunch of stuff on my computer and i was super mad that he took it off and i was like why did you take my game off he's like well i don't play it i was like no because it's my game (laughs) so i'll get that reinstalled i mean we can play a few rounds over the holidays i'd really like to get back into it we we have we have a good crew like there's a it went on sale in october for like six bucks so there's a lot of new players to it so me and a bunch of buddies we got a good crew now of like experience and new players so we're helping them along the way and you know help like Showing them the ropes. So, yeah, anytime you want to jump back on. Oh, good, because I'm definitely in the dead weight category when it comes to online multiplayers. But if you're a game, I would love to play some more. I was playing with uh, one of my buddies as a streamer earlier today and as we we're recording this. Um, and we there was a person who has only played two rounds, and we, we got him to help us kill Jason. Oh, that's, that's pretty epic. Fine, we, we, we managed to help and then, him. Yeah. Of course, and then I play with you, and you're just, like, chasing me around as the killer. I was trying to show you something. Oh, you showed me a thing or two. (laughs) You jerk. All right. right, So how about the regular chilling obsession? (laughs) Nice segue there. (laughs) I can go first. I recently watched Cam on Netflix, uh, which I don't know if you guys have seen like advertisement for it, but it's like a horror it's a thriller i would say watching it it felt a lot like an episode of black mirror so if you enjoy like that kind of storytelling i would definitely recommend it but it's about a camera girl named lola who is climbing the charts of success she is 
you know, doing her job uh, until like one day she looks online and sees that her channel is live streaming when she is like not live streaming and she clicks on it and looks and someone is live streaming on her channel who like looks exactly like her is in her room like she goes into her room like nobody is there but like something is happening on her channel where someone who looks exactly like her and is in some place that looks exactly like her room is live streaming on her channel and she's locked out of it and she can't get in so it was just so creepy and so well done I really in (laughs) sorry um I just really enjoyed it. It never hit a point where it dragged at all. Like I was completely invested in this movie and where it was going. And I was completely sucked in the entire time, which is, I think, hard to do because usually I look at my phone and like scroll Twitter for a little bit and like kind of look back and check in on the movie, which like I'm sorry to admit, but like this didn't happen with this. I was like completely here for the entire time that this was on. Um, I will say very NSFW like don't watch it with kids like the the main character is a sex worker (laughs) and that is a you know a part of the plot and like stuff that's going on uh but you know I did enjoy that all of that was shown in a good way that she was doing work and doing it on her own terms and being like in the show like financially independent and I just I really enjoyed it so that was Cam on Netflix I'm glad that's good it's been on my to watch list I really like sexy thrillers so <laughs> as like an erotic thriller yeah. I enjoy those kind of books so I think I enjoyed that as a movie I mean there's not like really like sex in it but go ahead <laughs> <laughs> that's okay <laughs> be like well why bother watching then I'm sorry there's just a lot of nudity <laughs> wait what are we talking about again sorry uh... <laughs> I all of a sudden heard everything you were saying. So. Devin tuned in finally. <laughs> he was somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, his male brain turned on at the word nudity. <laughs> it's like, what is that, Cam? Watching it now. <laughs> yeah, Devin just disappears for the rest of the episode. <laughs> so I'm really excited by my pick, and that is The Summer of 84, which was actually my most anticipated movie released in 2018 that we talked about way at the beginning of the year. And it took me until the very end to finally get a copy of it. I remember complaining that it was really hard to track down. But if anyone doesn't remember, this is a movie about a teenage boy who becomes convinced that his police neighbor is actually a serial killer who is responsible for the disappearance of several boys in their small town. And he enlists the help of his friends to investigate and try to find and try to find proof to bring this police officer to justice. And you know me, it's just like the title suggests, said in the 1980s, so check one for that. It's very classic in terms of the narrative style, very much in the vein of it, Stranger Things, etc. You know I'm a sucker for those kind of stories on the screen. And I'd say it's more of a suspense or thriller movie than actual horror, but it definitely has those horror themes because it definitely is a bit of a love letter to things like it. And I personally just really enjoy stories that involve amateur detectives because you get to watch the boys struggle how to find proof whether or not this man is a serial killer, but they have no authority, limited resources. I'm not even sure if they have their licenses yet, so they have pretty much no tools to actually bring this person to justice. So there's a lot of like digging through trash cans and digging up gardens and I just loved it. It's not super funny, more suspenseful and I just really enjoyed it. I was really happy that it lived up to my expectations because I saw a trailer 
forever ago and said, that looks great. And then I've been meaning to watch it ever since. And that one delivered. It was great. Yeah, that one's been on my my radar, but I thought it was only like VR. So you said you got like a copy of it? Well, I got it They're through like... Hoopla. <gasps> really? Yeah. I'm going to have to Yeah, check I don't it out. usually watch the movies on there, but I noticed it <laughs> yeah, on me the neither. scroll. Usually I try to save all of my Hoopla credits for audiobooks because I only get three every month, which is painfully little, but I decided to splurge and the yes went on a movie, but you only get 72 hours to watch it. So I had to like time it perfectly on the weekend. Oh man, this has been a Hoopla heavy episode. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry to our listeners that don't have it. Yeah, no kidding. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right, so mine uh, for 2018 is going to be a 2017 movie uh, that I watched for the first time this year, which was Terrifier. Uh, Terrifier is based on a short. I'm trying to remember what it was in. All Hallows' Eve. So uh, back in 2013, the anthology movie All Hallows' Eve had the short Terrifier in it. Um, This is basically a straightforward serial killing clown terrorizing the characters in the movie um it starts off with uh, two girls coming from halloween party uh they're drinking sort of too drunk to drive their vehicle so they go to this little pizza shop and then that's when they find the clown and it kind of goes from there this is a really good throwback to like late 80s early 90s just mindless slasher um girl running away from slow moving serial killer kind of movie what i really what really set it apart for me is the effects there's a lot of visceral kind of gore to it and all the effects are practical like this felt like something that tom sweeney would have done it's not going to be for everybody like i said it's for the people that really dig the the mindless slasher um how cool can the kills look kind of horror movies um and the main character the the killer art the clown is by far one of the most terrifying like horror killers i have seen since like jigsaw Uh, i've seen the thumbnail on netflix yeah this guy is terrifying and he does such weird things in the movie but i don't want to spoil it because they're all shocking. This is kind of like a, a grindhouse horror flick. Um, but yeah, if that type of horror is your bag, then this is actually a really solid, solid pick to watch. And with that, uh, we do have Sarai in the chat. said her chilling obsession is uh, she just recently became obsessed with the show Killing Eve, which is on Hulu. She said there's eight episodes in the first season. She watched six of them in one day. Um I will vouch for her that I've seen the first couple of episodes of Killing Eve, and it is it seems like it's really cool. That's been on my watch list, so I'm really excited to hear it's on Hulu. <gasps> Sandra Oh, I do love Sandra Oh. Sandra Oh, that's her name. I knew I knew her name. I gotta support all the things Sandra Oh, so I gotta watch it. <laughs> oh, she's on Grey's Anatomy, isn't she? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I only watched a few seasons of that, but she was the best part of the show. <laughs> Yeah, she's the main character. She's the uh, the MI5 officer. Oh, she's Canadian too. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> you Canadians. <laughs> All right, I'm just going to get my drink my Tim Hortons and wait for the next section. <laughs> You're doing such a good job already. We haven't had a Canadian reference in a little while. 
So before we finally close out the episode, I want to say a few words, but I admit I'm really bad at goodbyes. So I'll just say that this is a change, not an ending. But I really want to thank everyone who's listening for their support of the podcast. We have the most amazing patrons. And even if you don't financially support us, even if you're just a listener, uh, we love your interactions online, getting to hear from you. It means so much to all of us. And being part of Books in the Freezer has been one of the most challenging and rewarding experiences I have done over the years. I am just so proud of this podcast and very much this was Stephanie's baby where I still remember the day where she messaged me and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a horror book podcast. What do you think? And I just thought it was the most brilliant idea. Still do. And a huge thank you to you, Stephanie, because for anyone who does not know, she is the most amazing co-host that someone could possibly ask for. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, she was incredibly accommodating from the beginning of my changing recording schedule, of all the complications that came up through my medical... Uh, So, and all the complications that came up through my pregnancy and you as listeners might be unaware of how much work and time she puts into making the podcast run. I have to give her a huge thank you because especially in this last while, she has been doing the majority of the heavy lifting. And on the flip side, I want to say a huge thank you to Devin for taking my place It feels really good to say that I feel so confident that I'm leaving the podcast in really good hands. We have had so many in-depth conversations about your love of horror that I know you are the right host for continuing on. And I just want to encourage you to make this podcast your own with Steph and to try different things, take chances. We have had such a great group of listeners that have always gone along when we've tried out different sections, different discussions. Some of them were successful, some of them not so much and maybe disappeared along the way. But I'm really excited to see where you guys take it in the next year. And I am absolutely going to be your number one fan. I still plan on chiming in and giving my opinion and book recommendations wherever possible. And I am just so excited to see, uh, I'm repeating myself, uh, sorry if you can cut that, Devin. But of course, I'll still be around online to discuss all things horror and like you, anxiously waiting until midnight for the next episode to drop. And yes, let's say it again that can I please pop in whenever there's an episode where you need a guest that involves some like body horror, some fun horror, some nostalgic horror, some ridiculous Rachel horror because I can't stand the thought of not being on more episodes. So will you guys have me back whenever I can? Of course. Like I said, I'm bad with goodbyes, but I'm so thankful and just kind of excited. Like I said, I feel like this will be a new chapter, a new year, and I'm going to be watching the podcast really closely and listening to see where it goes. But I'm I'm going to be around. There's no worries about that. No, I'm going to miss you. I know. We'll talk more. I promise. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not taking. I'm not taking your chair. I'm just pulling up another one. Yours is still oh. here. You can have it whenever you want. It's fine. Come sit by me. We'll cry. <laughs> Thanks, Devin. Yeah, I'm still going to harass her on Voxer, Aww. so I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> she's, not getting, she's not getting away from you that. You guys are the best. I'm definitely going to still be on Voxer. There's no doubt about that. You'll you'll hear from me lots in the Patreon chat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> sure. All right. I know. I was like, can we just keep going forever? And if anybody wants to start a like a Patreon pool for how long it's going to take Rachel to say screw it and come back, um, I'll, I'll organize that when we get off the, uh, the live show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and right now, right now we have Mac crying in the chat. As Sarai says, I love how Rachel is like, I'm bad at goodbyes, and then does the perfect goodbye message. And now she's asking, is somebody cutting onions? <laughs> So Books in the Freezer is a bi-weekly podcast. We post episodes every other Tuesday. You can find us on Twitter at Books Freezer Pod or on Instagram at Books in the Freezer. We are now on Goodreads. You can find the Goodreads group Books in the Freezer. You can send us an email at booksinthefreezer at gmail.com. Show notes for this episode and all previous episodes are on our website, booksinthefreezer.com. I wanted to take a moment and say a special thank you to our patrons. We had a few of them joining us live in our chat today. So thank you to all of you for joining us. And especially thank you to our patrons, Laura, Liz, Devin, Sarai, Roger, Emily, Denise, Anthony, Jason, Brad, Leanne, Elizabeth, Sean, Mitch, Alicia, Christopher, Mark, Raina, Tracy, Julia, David, Agatha, Rachel, Kevin, Lisa, Mac, Amanda, and PT. Thank you to all of you so much. And if you're looking for a free way to support the podcast, be sure to leave us a review on a podcast app like iTunes or Stitcher. It really helps people find us. I'm Stephanie. You can find me on Twitter at Lady underscore Ganya. That's L-A-D-Y underscore G-A-G-N-O-N. Or on Instagram at That's What She Read. That is with two A's. Or on YouTube at That's What She Read. And I'm Rachel. Please find me online. I'm on Twitter at Shades underscore Orange. Or I'm always on YouTube and Instagram at The Shades of Orange. Okay. Um, Devin. And I'm on Twitter at, at InsomniReads. And on YouTube, you can find me as the Indian Insomniac. Join us next time for Books in the Freezer.